Home groups are incredibly, incredibly important. To me, they're one of the most important things that I do all week long. In fact, our entire home group went yesterday to help move our other associate, James and his wife Shannon, from their apartment to their house. And believe me, when there's like 14 or 15 people doing one job, it goes really quick. So, you know, be a part of a home group and hey, they'll help you move. That's pretty good. Uh, we're also talking about giving this morning, and if you're like me, you don't carry cash or checks along with you much anymore. Um, I really like to give online. I like to, to have my stuff just, you know, go into my bank account, and then electronically I can divvy it up and send it where it needs to go. Um, if you're like that at all, we have a new way of giving here at the church. Um, we have, it's called um, pre-authorized debits. And we have the forms available, and if you want to know who to talk to about that, just come see me after the service. And I will set you to who you need to go and see. Alright, that's all the housekeeping we have to do this morning. Um, I wanted to tell you this morning that I think that human beings are incredible. We're wired in very strange ways, aren't we? Like our memories, they can be triggered by the strangest things. You can be walking along and all of a sudden you'll hit a smell. And it will bring a flood of memories and emotions to you. There's a, a particular brand of tobacco that my grandmother used to smoke. And whenever I smell it, it's just... It, it brings me back to her house and the time that we had to clean her walls, and it was disgusting. Uh, you know, it doesn't really associate with her as much as her house. Uh, but it's this overwhelming sense. Uh, colors can do that. Anything can do that. And I wanted to show you a few things this morning. Now, I, I can't really blow smells at you and stuff like that in, in a way that would be effective. I thought about baking some cookies and then like getting a fan and blowing it, but alas, that didn't happen. Um, so, I'm going to show you some things that could evoke some very deep emotional responses. Alright, and if you know what this thing is, just shout it out, that's fine. I'm going to show you this first picture here. McDonald's! McDonald's, right? No matter what I do, I can't help it. When I see the golden arches, my stomach craves a double cheeseburger. I, I don't even really want it that bad. I don't really want the McGas that comes with it, or the McPressure that they have afterwards. But hey, I still crave, like... I could use a napkin right now, actually. <laughs> Alright, this next one. Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> uh, when we were going through the practice, somebody shouted out, Antichrist! <laughs> uh, she evoked some pretty heavy responses from people. Good or bad? She really, you know, she really wasn't. Oddly enough, I think of my junior high years when I see Oprah, because she was on after school whenever I got home. And I was like, this is dumb, and I'd watch it anyway. How pathetic is that? Okay, go on, up. Apple. Technology. Yeah, Apple is one of those things where you're either completely for it or you're completely against it. Uh, it's, it's incredible how much people really get behind Apple these days, and it can evoke some pretty heavy responses. Alright, how about this one? <laughs> oh, well, that's not the picture that I was hoping would come up. Do you want the next one? Alright, I have no idea who that guy is, but this guy, this is the one that I want to show you. Alright, for those of you who don't know who this is, I threw this in because last week I noticed that my entire junior high youth group was here, and I wanted them to see something that would evoke a pretty heavy emotional response for the girls that are in that junior high youth group. This guy's name is Taylor Lautner, and he plays a werewolf in the Sparkly Vampire series. Alright? Uh, he, he evokes a pretty strong emotion within me, it's called Rage. Uh, when I see characters from the Twilight movies, I get very upset. And not for the reason, you know, that it's, 
it takes our young people down this path of teenage angst that's not really that good, or that it's poorly written series, or anything like that. I get angry because vampires are not supposed to be sparkly in the sunlight. That's what makes me angry about the Twilight series. And for some reason, I, I can't explain it, for some reason that's, that's what drives me nuts. But yeah, we have all these emotional responses when we see images, colors, smells, Taylor Lautner, whatever. Um, we have these incredible just reactions to things. And when we see certain words, when we see when we see concepts in front of us, we'll have the same emotional responses. Now I'm going to show you another word, and this is a word that I'm hoping you're familiar with. But take a look at this. This word should evoke some sort of response within you. For some of you, it's a very, very positive response. It's a response of, you know, holiness and worship and, and all those things that we talk about here on a Sunday morning. For some of you, it's a reaction to something that you've experienced in your life. Perhaps you met a Christian that really put you off. Perhaps you had to go to church when you were little and you hated it. Um, perhaps there's something in there that doesn't quite fit. And when we look at this word, we're filled with all kinds of emotional responses, good or bad. And this has an effect on the way that we behave whenever we see this word. In fact, the way that you imagine God, the way that you perceive God, is it exactly how you will behave accordingly. If you imagine God to be something, you will behave as if God was that thing. Now I'm going to show you these pictures here. Perhaps you imagine God as one of these guys. An old guy in a rocking chair. Does everybody see God that way? You know, hair growing out of his ears, just kind of relaxing up there? Some people do. Or maybe he's just kind of this guy with a long white beard on the clouds, just kind of hovering up there, checking things out investigating a little bit. Maybe he's more like the Michelangelo version of God, you know, where he's reaching out to touch humanity or poke him on the nose or something. Uh, or maybe you see God more in a modern light. If you've ever seen the, uh, the Almighty series, like Bruce Almighty or Evan Almighty, God is Morgan Freeman, and he has this kind of playful attitude. He's standing there like this, you know, hey, I'm God, you know. And sometimes we view God in these ways. Or maybe you view God like this. Anybody see God this way? As the police in the rearview mirror, hovering over your shoulder, just waiting for you to mess up and catch you in that speed trap? You know, oddly enough, you probably have never put that image to God before, but a lot of us pretend that that is God. You know, just waiting for us to mess up. And if you don't believe that any of these images affect the way that you believe that God operates, or what you believe in God, I'm going to show you another sign. Look at this sign. This sign is beware of dog. Now, the word dog here is very, very important. What you imagine that word to be will affect your behavior. Let me show you. If you imagine dog to be this, you will go into the yard assuming that you're going to like roll around in the grass, have some face licking, you know, some snuggles, some cute little times, regardless of what the truth of the situation is. However, if you believe dog to be this, you will have a very different response, won't you? You'll stay clear of that yard. You won't go in because you assume that that dog is going to kill you, right? <laughs> Regardless of what the truth of the situation is, what you perceive, what you imagine about words is the way that you will respond. Now let me show you that word again. How do you respond to this word? 
we discovered a few things about God along this series. First of all, we discovered that God is a holy God. He's set apart. He's different. Nothing evil can come from Him or be about Him. He is a holy God. We've also discovered that God is power. He is powerful. And we need to understand that these things, God being holy and God being powerful, are not isolated little parts of God. They work together as a whole. In fact, if you look to my left, you're going to see an awful lot of words that we associate with God. But no one of these things describes God itself. All of these things are a smaller part of a greater understanding, which is God. There's actually a word for that in the English language. And you probably pronounce it differently than I if you know it. But it's called a synecdote. Okay? A synecdote. This is a smaller understanding of a greater whole. And that's what we do when we talk about God. We talk about smaller understandings of a greater whole. Because God is not just holy. God is not just power. God is many, many things. And I'd like to show you another word that God is. God is this word here. Jealousy. Now that word I bet evokes an emotional response from you. I bet you you associate certain things with that word. And I want you to consider those things. Because God actually uses this word to describe himself. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, God says this. I demand your complete loyalty. You must not worship any other God. And if you look at any other version of the Bible, it says, For my name is Jealous. I am a jealous God. My name is Jealousy. When he goes to describe himself to the Israelites, so he has his people, he's called them out of Egypt. They've done the Charlton Heston movie, or they've done the Prince of Egypt, whichever one you're familiar with. They've come out of Egypt, they've come across the Red Sea, and God is like, okay guys, I want to explain to you who I am. And he gives them the big ten commandments. The very beginning of those commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. This is Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, where you were slaves. Do not worship any other God except me. Do not worship any other God except me. He is a jealous God. But somehow, when we say that word, jealousy, when we see the name of God as being jealous, that doesn't sit quite well, does it? I don't know about you, but when I think of the word jealous, I think of who I was many, many years ago. When I was in, in junior high and high school, I was a very insecure person. I really, really was. It was quite embarrassing, in fact. Uh, I had this one girlfriend that I actually drove away because I was insanely jealous of, I don't know what, she wasn't doing anything wrong, but I was just insanely jealous anytime she talked to somebody. It meant that I was insecure. It meant that I thought that other people had better qualities than me, and that I had to overcompensate to kind of prove that I was the best. I was very, very insecure. And if that's the name of God, and I assume jealousy is insecurity and lack of measuring up, does that really work? Is that who God is? I don't think so. Remember, jealousy is that synecdote. It is a small part of a greater understanding. We've learned of the holiness of God. God is set apart from everything in this world. God is above our emotions and our logic. 
and our fears and our failures. And if that is true, if God is above all those things, can God really be subject to those same fears and failures and emotions? We've learned that God is power. God is power. God is powerful, but God is power itself. It says in Scripture that the earth trembles when it hears its voice. It says that there is no weapon that can stand against it. It says that He is the Alpha and the Omega, that He is everything. So is God really afraid of the powers of other people? Is He really afraid that He won't measure up to someone else's standards? If God is power, then how can that be true? And in case you haven't made it there, the answer is no. God is not those things. God is not insecure. God is not afraid of not measuring up. God is not Taylor Lautner in Twilight. He's not shaky and heavy and insecure. Instead, we have to understand that jealousy is not what we assume jealousy to be when we associate it with us. We have to see jealousy in the light of a God who is holy and who is powerful, not in the light of an insecure human being. I think a pretty good place to begin is to understand this, this jealousness of God. Is to describe how God views us. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, he says, Listen, Israel, the Lord your God is the only true God. He wants us to understand something first. There is no other God. There is no other God. Then he asks us to do something pretty amazing. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. He says this, A husband should love his wife as much as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. So God wants to capture our understanding and human understanding. God loves us as much as a husband loves his wife, or should love his wife. Christ gave himself up for his bride. Christ died to save his wife. God loves us very, very much. And if this is how God perceives his relationship to us, if we go and give our attention to someone else or something else that should be reserved for him, what will his response be? I mean, think about it. God has said explicitly, I am the only God. Okay, I'm just getting that out of the way there, folks. I am the only God. Don't worship anything else but me because there is nothing else but me. He says that over and over and over again. And then he says, I love you so incredibly much that I'm willing to sacrifice everything to, to be in that relationship with you. That's how much I love you. And if we accept that and we say, yeah, sure, that makes sense, God. And then go and give our worship to something else. If we give our time and our devotion and our money to something else, how does God respond? I think he takes it pretty seriously, and I think he takes it pretty personally. He gives his people some guidance back in the Old Testament in the, the Ten Commandments. You may be familiar with them. Right off the bat, again, he starts out by saying, I am the only God, don't worship any other gods. And then he says, don't make for yourselves any idols. And then he says something pretty scary. I want you to go home and look that up. It's in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 5. He says something pretty amazing. He, he says, if you disobey me, if you don't follow my commandments, I get very angry by this. And he says, I will punish that generation two or three times over. I will punish these people, and the, the, the sins will follow their sons and their sons' sons. 
But then he says, but if you love me and follow my commands and do as I have asked you to do, my love will go on for a thousand generations. It will carry on over and over and over again. He's trying to describe his love is great. His love is powerful. His love is mighty. And he wants his people to understand that. But when people don't understand that, when they disobey, when they do the very thing that they're commanded not to do, right off the bat, right from the very beginning, God gets pretty upset. I want to show you how he frames this. Now, we're going to quote a passage here. And this is from Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 30 to 34. This is a passage that doesn't get read in church very often, and there's a very specific reason why. Uh, if you're a teenager, there's a word that might stand out for you a little bit. Um, see if you can find it. And just fair warning, parents, you may have some explaining to do when you get home. This is Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 30 to 34. I, the Lord your God, say that you were so disgusting that you would have done anything to get what you wanted. You had sex on every street corner. And when you finished, you refused to accept money. That's worse than being a prostitute. If you are nothing but an un you are nothing but an unfaithful wife who would rather have sex with strangers than with your own husband. Prostitutes accept money for having sex, but you bribe men from everywhere to have sex with you. You're not like other prostitutes. Men don't ask you for sex. You offer to pay them. This is how God responds to His people when they are worshiping other gods when they are doing the things that he has commanded them not to do. He takes it so personally. He sees it as a marriage relationship in which one person has broken their vows in the most disgusting of ways. He takes it that personally. That's how, that's how personally God considers his relationship with his people. That's how personally God considers his relationship with us. He has great great passion for us. And when we take our worship, and when we take our time, and we take our devotion, and we take our gifts, and all those things that God has gifted us, and hook them up with something else, it doesn't matter what that other thing is, when we give it to something else in complete devotion, he takes it that personally. He feels like a cheated husband. And God doesn't pull any punches. This language that he uses can be defensive. But that's how seriously he takes it. Do you remember what Jesus says in the most famous passage in the Bible? God, John recently. He says, for God so what? Love. For he so loved the world. For he so loved us. He has great passion for us. In Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, it says that we were dead because of our sins. But God loved us so much that He raised us to life in Christ. We were dead, but He came and got us and raised us. That's like the most amazing fairy tale ending, isn't it? I mean, think of any Disney movie you've ever seen or any fairy tale you've ever read. If the, the heroine dies and the prince shows up, what does he have to do? He has to show his love for her to bring her back to life. So he gives her a kiss or... I don't know, there's a dance or something. And she comes back to life, and it's amazing. And that's what God did for us. <coughs> the fairy tale ending. He has great passion for us. In fact, in Hosea chapter 11, God actually describes us as loved children that he wants to bring up and to hold and, and to teach and to feed and to clothe and to bring through schools and to just raise as his own children. That's how he describes us. 
He uses a word in Deuteronomy called love. And this love is an encompassing word. It's not just, you know, that he kind of likes us a little bit. It's that he fully, completely loves us. And he asks in Deuteronomy that we fully, completely love him. There's a very famous passage that Jesus quotes that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind. It means we have to love him in completeness as he loves us. He is jealous for us. He wants our complete attention and devotion. He wants our complete holistic love. He loves us that much that he is jealous for us. I don't know how to fully describe this, how to put it into terms that make sense for you, but I know something. I saw a picture of my baby for the first time this week. That's a pretty special moment, I have to say. I wasn't completely prepared for it. And I don't even know the kid yet. And I've got a few months to go. But I can tell you something. I am already jealous for my child. I want the best. Seriously, I want my kid to be way smarter than I am. I want him to go to the best schools. I want him to have the best doctors. I want him to have the best opportunities. I, I, I want him to have the best of everything that I can give him or her, whatever it is. I want the best for this child. I'm jealous for this child. And I want this child to love me back. I really do. If I were to spend a few years with it, and all of a sudden he or she decides that I'm not his dad, and took its love and gave it to someone else, and started calling them father, started calling them dad, I don't think I could take that. And I haven't even met my child yet. It says in Scripture that God knit you together in your mother's womb. That God so loved you that He was willing to sacrifice everything for you. It says that He is jealous of your time, jealous of your money, jealous of your love, jealous of your devotion. God's name is jealousy. He is jealous for you. He has great, great passion for you. And His plans for us, His plans for you, are to grow you, and to provide for you, and to give to you, and to love you, and to guide you, and to teach you, and to do all these wonderful things. I want to show you the Word of God one more time. If you haven't listened to anything that I've said this morning, just take away these last couple of thoughts. You need to know three things about this Word of God. First off, you need to know that He is jealous for you. Secondly, he would do anything to get your attention, and he has done everything to hold it. And finally, his passion is not like a sparkly vampire. He's never going to sway. He's never going to give up. He's never going to let up. He's willing to even offend you to get you to pay attention to him and to his great devotion and to his love. And that love, when it's accepted, is poured out more infinitely than we can possibly imagine. It takes hard work and it takes time like any real relationship. But that love is so great. And that love is a sustaining love. It's something that you can feed off of for the rest of your life that will only grow. It will not shrink. It is the greatest thing that has ever been known. His name is Jealousy. And that's a very, very good thing. 
you want to know more about who this is, what this love is like, what my experience with it has been, has been what your experience with it can be, I'm available after the service. Please come and find me. I'd be happy to talk to you about But in the meantime, let's pray and talk to this very jealous guy. Father, your love is great and large and powerful, and your love is holy. And you have a desperate need for us and God. Wow. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for your gifts. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. And God, we just thank you for being you. Father, help us to know you better today than we did yesterday. And tomorrow, God, I hope we know you even better than we knew you today. Fill us up, Lord. Help us to know your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.